there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Hi there. Today we have Azim Rafiq, the ex-professional cricketer, and we're going to talk all about men's mental health, racism in sport, uh, what he's doing next. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Morning. How are you? I'm really, really good. You've relocated to Dubai. You're obviously uh, a highly trained athlete because you're sitting outside in August recording this, and I'm. Uh, I know that. <laughs> We knew you were a hardy person, but that's uh, quite a hardy thing to do. <laughs> well, I thought I'd give it a go in 42 degrees. Um, let's see how it works out with a great top. Yeah, well, you're used to running around in it, so I'm sure you can sit still. So you've decided you've relocated to Dubai and you've, in a roundabout way, gotten to focusing on men's mental health through your, through your own mental health struggles. This is a cause close to my heart. I have men close to me in my life struggling, and it's just so hard to watch and and sit with sit with this. Um, first of all, just what do you want people to know about this? Yeah, look, I, for me, you know, um, it's something I've struggled with uh, for a very long time. Um, you know, I, I, I've I've gone, I think, probably as uh, dark a place as you can get in without, uh, you know, I. I I came very close to taking my own life. Uh, I've been taking antidepressants for, um, you know, since 2013. Uh, but when I first spoke out about my experiences, um, you know, people asked me, what, what do you want to do after? And um, mental health and uh, mental health in men and South Asian uh, is something that I'm really passionate about because I think there's still a, a huge stigma. Um, you know, there's a real, uh, you know, men really struggle to speak about their feelings um and there's not enough safe spaces uh that you know that gives them um i felt where they feel safe enough to share some of their feelings but also obviously you know uh, a lot of us um have you know try and fulfill a lot of responsibilities and uh, we feel like uh, we can't talk about uh, our health and still fulfill them but um you know which is all um you know old stigmas which we need to get rid of and i think uh the more people i've you know i was going through my um i was going through some of the dms and uh, messages i received around the select committee and you know so a lot of them are you know from men talking about you know how it resonates with them how different parts of my experience and um you know how thankful they are that uh someone speaking with a platform uh, allows them to feel like they can talk about theirs as well so yeah i think for me it's just trying to help even if it's one person uh one recognize it uh but then you know uh speak about it and uh, hopefully um you know work together to uh, get it to a better place and you spoke about specifically in the south asian community we we say stigma, but how does that translate in you know practical reality? What's an example or a couple of examples, even from your experiences or ones you've heard about? Yeah, look, I think I think it's 
I've been fortunate. Like I, uh, from for me, uh, the reason it took me so long is because I didn't re- I didn't realize it. Uh, but when I did, you know, I've spoken about it. Uh, but the real the real tough detail, you know, my parents only found out that I came close to taking my own life when I spoke out um, on international TV. Uh, so, you know, that was the first they heard about it. So, you know, I, I think so. It, there's a there's a fear as to how that will be perceived. Uh, but, you know, on my, uh, I traveled back to Pakistan quite a lot and even uh, even in the UK and around the world. And you hear, a, you know, you hear where people have built up the courage to tell their family members or tell people close to them. And, you know, you do, you, we still live in a world where you get responses like, oh, just get on with it. Um, are you thinking too much? Um, and these are the types of responses that um, are so, so damaging uh, for someone that's struggling uh, because, you know, it creates that, um, creates that feeling of, you know, loneliness. Um, it creates the feeling of, you know, you feel like you're trying to share something that you're feeling but um you know people don't want to listen or but i think throughout it all really it's just a lack of um understanding uh, uh, in one recognizing it but then second actually how to respond when someone does come to you um and i guess that's whole part of uh why it's it's a you know it's focused for me it's going to try to help people not only those struggling but also you know if you're someone comes to you that is struggling um how you handle that is so vital for that uh, individual um yeah and if i can help people sort of you know get understand what that feels like from both sides a little bit uh hopefully that can you know move the dial forward yeah i've said this before you know whenever a prominent celebrity will commit suicide everyone says like can you imagine why wouldn't they tell anyone and My argument is because nine times out of 10, if you tell someone something really dark like that, they will minimize it. Like people can handle it. And so their first thing that they do when you confess that you're really struggling is to say, oh, well, everyone gets sad or, you know, have you done something? Have you worked out or, you know, something like that. So it leaves people in that super lonely place where they do consider these things because they do feel. So from your side, pulling yourself out of it first of all what would you say if someone can like what should people say what do you think is the right way to handle it because i think right away people are like i can't handle this giant emotion so first of all just that what is the right way to respond yeah i think i mean if someone comes comes to you to talk about their feelings i think the main thing and the best thing you can do uh is listen um and i think it's like it's like it's with anything for me like um, you know, if someone's sharing their experiences, their tough, you know, li- experiences, all they really want is someone to listen uh, and, you know, and feel like they've been heard. So I think that's the k- biggest skill, uh, the simplest skill, but the skill that everyone finds the most difficult. And then I think, and then, you know, you've got to try and, you know, ask questions as to how you can help. I think because you don't know yourself, it's there's no point assuming how you can help absolutely ask the question you know uh what what can i do to help uh how is it you know um what what role can i play uh but also then trying and getting professional uh encouraging uh, professional advice and professional help um and you know ever since i spoke out i've had so many people get in touch with me with similar stories and you know initially initially i sort of helped them myself and you know took a lot of that on myself which was 
making it so much more difficult for me but also you know i'm not profession i'm not a professional so uh, i think it's important that um you recognize you listen you know the person wants to be heard you make them feel like they're being heard and then you ask some questions and then try and get a professional on board too um really but all but you know in that phase in that already you've made a huge difference because you know you just talked about when that per- it's always helped if you speak i can't like if i one of my ways of dealing with it and it, i think it's consciously or subconsciously is when i'm getting really if i'm getting like and i've had a rocky patch a couple of weeks ago for about 10 days and you know because i've been through it before i sort of you know i try and then tell someone um and you know telling someone and for me that's sometimes been through social media uh and through um through a you know a quote or a story where you know uh, that that if someone was looking at it will realize that i'm not you know i'm not feeling my best and then what i have found is that there's a lot of great people out there who are actually you know who really do care and you know i've had a couple of weeks ago like i said as an example i was you know i was two uh, i had a two week trip to the uk and like the first sort of 10 days or so i really struggled uh, you know i went into my local uh, town and i was abused on the street uh, and that really got to me um and i sort of shut myself off uh, and didn't leave my sofa for a few days but then i posted a story and someone i'd met recently just said where are you and you know he just came and he he probably doesn't even know this because i've not told him but you know he just came to see me and uh, you know we had a coffee and then that helped me a lot because you know it really his the way he dealt with that uh, helped me deal with it better and made me feel like you know what i'm not alone and then then i started to sort of build myself back uh, from it but you know it's it w- there's a lot of people a lot more people struggling out there than uh, we realize so you know people do relate and um trying to i think in a way the message is not be uh, scared to look you know to get help yeah and just showing up i mean showing up is a big thing right like not even, even if you don't know exactly what to do like that person showed up for you so we always that's one of the beautiful things of social media. Social media gets slammed all the time, but there's a lot of beautiful parts of it. But one part of social media that always bothers me is it seems like it's always a story, like something, someone overcame depression and now they're fine. They they lost weight and now they're thin, you know, they, they were out of shape and now they're, they're in shape. It's, it's, it's not like that. As you just said, like you had a, you know, you're, you're not telling the story in a nice, concise way of like, I was this and now I'm this, like you said, it happened again, it will happen again. How do you, how have you begun to pull yourself out of this, perhaps in a more effective way than in the times you really, really struggled and got really, really dark? What have you noticed that you do differently in, in just with yeah, you? Yeah, look, I think, to, to think any of this is a fix and you 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 know you you've smashed it and you're fine is uh, you know is uh, is delusional really um like from my experience uh, i know how tough uh, um i find it you know on a daily basis even even now right and so it's just recognizing them uh and recognizing that you you're on a bit of a journey and recognizing that you know i think i had i get counseling and uh, we had a situation a couple of months ago and 
sort of it was um it was not perfect it was a bit you know uh rocky there was a lot happening and actually my um my therapist that I was speaking to, we, we built up a great relationship and she, she, you know, the way she dealt with me in that sort of, um, that session was really good. And I left that session with a mindset, which has really helped me from there onwards. And like I said, you know, I still had that rocky 10 days, but actually if you, if I strip it back and look at since I've moved to Dubai, uh, since December, uh, and compare that to how I was for two years before that, or I have been for the last seven years, you know, I've probably been the best, uh, you know, best space that I've been in for a long time. So it's just, it's recognizing them positive as well. But the thing that we left that session together was actually life's imperfect. Things are going to be imperfect. Uh, and actually enjoy the imperfections of uh, some of the, some of the things that were happening that week. And I've tried to sort of take that into everyday life now. And there's, you know, there's, there's constant challenges. If, even if you take away from everything that you know uh over the last few years speaking out and the backlash and uh you know this you talk about social media <laughs> again uh you know in the last couple of weeks alone i got you know i got stuff like uh I, people i hope i get covid and it's fatal and you know uh, i should never come back to the uk uh and and stuff like that so these things do leave you know they leave it there it's there you know i, I felt that but you know, these are, and I, I don't want anyone to get to a space where they have to deal with, have to deal with this type of stuff, but I've got to find a way of, of dealing with it. I've got two choices. And for me, the, in, that little quote of, you know, just enjoying the imperfections of what's happening, but also, you know, recognizing how far, um, you know, how far I've come, um, is something to be proud of. And for me, I, I the, my physical, you know, physical and mental health go hand in hand. Um, and you know, I, I, again, I got, I got to a space where because of my antidepressants, I, I put a lot of weight on when I take them. Uh, you know, I, I, I put on, you know, I put on a lot of weight and it was recognizable and I was getting social media trolls. Uh, and then, I, you know, there was a point where I knew I needed to change that, but I wasn't ready for a long time. You know, I wasn't prepared to, uh, damage or put myself under more mental mental strain just to get my physical health back in so you know i was there was days where i woke up and i was like i'm not going to do anything and i didn't do anything uh but i was kind and listened to me but i listened to my head and when my head was you know was starting to feel like it wanted to do so i i slowly tried to i guess incorporate in uh, my physical health and you know slowly slowly i've now you know, I've got to a place now where, you know, I, I'm in a much better space physically, which then really helps me mentally anyway. So I think it's consciously or subconsciously, I have, through my experience, sort of recognized uh, little things that can really help me when, you know, one, get to stock of it, but then, you know, make sure that I um, I don't spiral, my, spiral down into uh, a space that I don't really want anyone else to get into. One thing we hear a lot about with men is that they don't have the depth of friendships that women have that help women. Uh, they don't have the conversational depth sometime with their friends. And I've experienced this with boyfriends and partners and, you know, my brother and, and just other, my friends, husbands, 
where we'll say, gosh, like they don't talk about anything when they're together. And this isn't true of all men, obviously, but I wondered if you, you know, you were surrounded by other guys when you were playing cricket. And I wondered if you could just speak to this a little bit. Has this been something that you've experienced in your life? And have you been able to, if so, have you been able to address it? Yeah, I think I recognize the conversations a bit because it is really difficult. Like, you know, you can, I, I think I've got to a space now where I just share it. And uh, I, and I know when I'm sharing it with certain people that it's not even going in. Um, and I know when I'm sharing it with certain people that they're thinking, what is he talking about? Um, but I, I more or less got to a space where I know if I get it off me, it starts to make me feel better. So uh, I've done it anyway. But yes, I, I would absolutely look for a lot of people that are struggling and struggling in silence. And we know there's a lot of, uh, for them um, to find a, a place where they can speak or men that they can speak to is really really challenging uh and that's you know that's one of the things um you know i want to and again i say men and then south asians very similar in in that you know where where is the place to go to speak to anyone uh if you know if people don't understand it and don't want to listen and you know at times make it worse so it's trying to create that community where you do feel like you can go and um speak to someone openly uh, and, you know, really share it to get it off you. Um, and I think we're a long way from that. And I, I think that's where some of the other work I'm doing now around um, corporates and workplaces and, um, you know, businesses that I think it, we spend a lot of our time at work. Right. And I think that's where it's important that we uh, create these, um, these places, these safe spaces, um, where men can go and speak and, um, you know, get the support that they need. Because until you tell someone, it's really difficult to get the support. So when we talk about racism, you have experienced this, obviously. You spoke about it reluctantly at first and then sort of came out and spoke about it. The UAE is a country, you know, tolerance is one of the government's goals, but it is also stratified. And so I think there's people experiencing this on certain levels here um, in all sorts of realms and all sorts of ways. So I wondered if you could sort of just talk about the physical and emotional feelings you have when this happens, how it happens, and then we can move into sort of how to handle it. Yeah, I think it, like you, you go through phases, your, your stomach just crunches you know, my, now, like, even when I read some of the stuff I get on social media, you know, for, for it sends you numb. It re it sends you numb for a while, and you think, is this really still happening? Um, and to have it face-to-face, -face, like I did when I was just back now in the UK, uh, you know, you get it makes me angry. It makes me seriously angry, and then that just turns into just upset and then feeling helpless, really, because, you know, Here's the thing, you know, here's something I've spoken about so openly. You know, I, the one thing I, I keep, I've sat on international television and talked about how close I came to taking my own life. And the actual, you know, how things have been dealt with and what's happened after, it feels like people have made more of an effort to make sure that I end my life. And which, which for, on a human level is so difficult to take. Um, 
so yeah it, 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 you know it sort of it bites you and it gets you but you know i i at the same time i feel very fortunate that uh, i have got an outlet you know i i have got a platform and i can you know and i have had the most amazing support outside of cricket that anyone can ask for like i honestly probably it's hard to talk about positive things uh, within such deep subjects but I feel incredibly fortunate in the way I've been heard and in the way I've been supported from people outside of cricket. Um, I have had the most amazing professional support, um, legal, pro bono, Mishkondorea, Doughty Street Chambers, Jennifer Robinson, who, um, you know, who, who's a um, barrister at Doughty Street, um, you know, PR, PowerScore, my, uh, you know, my PR company who are in the UK, incredible people and then when i moved to dubai i've just had and you know this is where by talking about my experience i'm not downplaying anyone else's i'm talking about me solely i've had the most amazing love uh that i could ask for you know people have really opened up and uh been supportive uh to me but that doesn't mean that racism doesn't happen and that other people are not suffering it you know i i see the way people you know, some people uh, are treated here as well. And I think we've just got a long way to go, but it, I just want to take the, you know, how can we get our society? Look, what's happened in the past is is not something we can change. But how can we, get, uh, so, you know, tolerance is one thing, but tolerance, I don't I don't actually like the word. It's, it's actually, for me, it's more embracing and respect. Uh, because you know, we shouldn't need to be tolerant of anyone. We, you know, we should we should be just be able to embrace and respect each human being uh, for what they, you know, for what they are, for what they believe in, for, for, for what they like and what they want to do. Uh, and that's, you know, ultimately that's going to make us all more successful and more happy. Um, and I, you know, uh, and make I guess the our lives a happier place for everyone. Okay, so how are you involved in um, in cricket now? Yeah, so I, I look, I've been again, you know, I've been doing some uh, covering cricket with Dubai I one three point eight here in the UAE, which has been really nice. Um, look, I'm I'm involved. Um, obviously, there was an ICEC report, a commission that was commissioned by the England and Wales Cricket Board uh, recently. Uh, so I'm I'm having conversations with the leadership of the ECB. Uh, about what uh, you know, how how we do really understand this and make sure that things do change this time. Um, so you know, a wide ranging really um, few a few leaders that I do support um, around um, you know around workspace and you know making sure things change, but also how can we proactively um, you know make an environment inclusive um, and what are the benefits of that is um, so. Yeah, really wide ranging, some sort of leadership type coaching, um, then the broadcasting, which, you know, which is what I love. Um, I'm a level, you know, I just need to finish my sort of assessment on my level four. And, you know, I want to get back into coaching at some point. But for now, I think broadcasting is something I want to do more and more of. So hopefully with a cricket, cricket World Cup ahead, um, um, you know, there's going to be some opportunities in doing that. And you mentioned sometimes when you're having rough days doing the physical part, is it hard when you're, when your professional career is over to keep motivation for physical, to keep your physical um, uh, status up to date, like <laughs> to keep yourself in shape? 
And how do you go? Yeah, over I mean, how do you overcome that? Yeah, and like you know, I I, uh, I just uh, I got myself to a place. But I, the thing is, I reckon. Sorry, did it cut off then? No, it's okay. Yeah. Um. See, I it, for me, um, once I'm in a good headspace, um, I, I actually uh, it's a it's a buzz that I really really like. And you know, I like I said, for me, I recognize why I put weight on, and it so that's why I don't beat myself up about it. Um. But um. Yeah. Look you spend your career um being told where to be and what to do um and basically uh, and one of one of the things i'm doing now i'm a consultant at mdr mayfair uh around uh helping athletes transition uh because um one of the biggest things that athletes struggle with um is a routine and it's it's you know they've spent we've spent our whole career being told where to be and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we have to do it for ourselves. You know, something small as, you know, we know where we just have to turn up and the coach will be there, right? We just have to turn up and drinks bottles will be there. And these are all the small things that are all done for you and you take for granted when you do play. And when you step out of there, then you have to, I guess, get into the big world and do all of these things and prepare all of these things yourself. And these are the things athletes really struggle with. So, you know, part of what I'm doing now is, around athlete transition but purely on the physical side um you, you know you'll see athletes once they finish um they don't you know a lot really struggle to keep in the same physical um state and i think that comes a lot from the i guess the mental uh one because th you know it's been so uh so many sacrifices made for so long uh and not e you know eating prop eating properly and training you know pushing your body to the absolute limits uh, which, which in itself, you know, uh, there's only a sort of you only have so much left in the tank. So when they finish, there's nothing left in the tank to, you know, go back to the well and keep going. Um, so yeah, people do struggle with that. Um, and I guess for me, um, I really uh, the reason I really do it is because it helps my mental health really. Um, and you know that that's my driver towards it. Um, so yeah really challenging really difficult no easy answers i probably waffled a little bit there but okay. um you know these are these are these are things for athletes that um that i think what we're trying to do at michigan derea is try and create a bit more of a support network around athletes which is more than just transactional and more you know it looks at some of the boring stuff as well you know around tax structures or financial planning and um you know mental support and creating i guess a support network around them because when you're playing you're only interested in performing but also your value your value to the world and your identity is while you're performing and when that goes uh, suddenly that phone stops ringing they have uh that has uh you know mental effects and it's trying to prepare them early to make sure that they have a purpose, uh, a, a purpose to go into uh, and prepare them for that and have that ready before they even finish. And just for regular folks who are struggling with their their physical health, what what's uh, do you have a top tip to sort of get started, get going? Yeah, ultimately, um, it's trying to work hand in hand with your mental health. It, physical health, some sort of movement. Look, not everyone's going to go to the gym. Not everyone's going to run 5K. 
and that's fine. You know, never compare yourself to someone else out there when it comes to physical and mental health because everyone is you. From a physical, uh, I guess, from a life point of view, I'd encourage anyone to just do, you know, move as much as possible, um, you know, which which will, you know, hopefully give you a healthier, longer, uh, longer life. But, you know, I personally, if anything, just physical movement has such a such a profound impact on my life uh, and my, my mental health is that I would encourage uh, people to just get out. And even if it's just go for a walk, uh, honestly, every little bit makes a difference. But the big thing in today's world is don't compare yourself to other people. And if someone's experiencing racism at work, what would you, what would you tell them if they had a little session with you? <laughs> what would be the first thing you'd say? I mean, I'd listen. I'd want to hear. I'd, I'd want to listen to them. Um, you know, I'd want to hear about what's happening, uh, and then you know, I'd ask, I'd ask them what they'd want, what role they would like me to play in helping them, uh, and what you know, what what it is, um, and then try and help um, you know do that there as a support network but also you know if they if they want to you know want me to speak to uh, someone uh, you know um, I'm happy to do that for them but you know I think for me first it's very important for me to listen uh, build that trust uh, and you know a lot of these times when people are speaking all they want is someone to speak to and you know be heard uh, um, and someone that helps them then you know I guess get their thoughts in a place where they can decide what it is they want to do. And, you know, it's not for everyone to speak out like I have done. And, you know, um, when if people want to do that, my advice to them is, look, I, I try and tell them what it looks like. Um, but, you know, if they do decide to do it, I would 100% support them. And you have a book and a documentary coming out. Can you talk a little bit about what people can expect? Yeah, look, the book's good. It's weird because we we uh, signed the book uh, before uh, you know the story became as big as it has, and it was going to be the you know it was going to be the sort of I guess my way of finally saying everything I had to say and get it off my chest, but also you know let people know what's happened. Um, now because there's been so much out there, actually the book's become even more important. In a bit of a strategy, I know from. Um, so you know, trying give a picture of um, you know what took place, uh, but also you know how we can solve it. I'm just having trouble. You're freezing and going in and out on this one. Hi. Hi. Where did where did you lose me? Uh, basically, after the question, you froze. Like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So um, you know, the book initially was going to be sort of the final thing to let people know everything that had happened, uh, what was happening behind the scenes, uh, but then so much has been out there, but. Uh, the book's become even more important because there's been so much misinformation. 
there's been so much muddied the waters and i think that's been a strategy from the other side or people who don't want to ac- accept it to try and uh minimize it to try and make it about one person's experience so look it's going to be hard it's going to be tough read um it's going to be tough read on a lot of personal real person you know i've dealt with uh, my own feelings uh, but also you know there's going to be some real personal stuff around mental health um you know um how close i did come to uh, taking my own life the impact that it's had on my family um but, but you know there's some uncomfortable conversation the other way because actually and this is a thing and i'm sure your expression will be exactly the same as everyone else's my biggest support has come from uh middle-aged white men like unequivocal like support where you know they've literally sacrificed their own selves for me a demographic that gets absolutely smashed in this conversation um my support uh, has come from white people a lot um again you know when i talk about it and this gets cut out at mainstream because people don't want to hear it but this is what this is reality but the biggest thing and the thing that hurts me the most and something i'll probably carry with me for the rest of my life is the people who supported Yorkshire to cover this up came from people from my community. A lot of people who have been part of the discrediting campaign have come from my community and the people who are tr- now trying to stop change happening have come from uh, my own community. And that makes people go, oh, whoa, hold on a minute, why? But this is how the system works. Uh, and it gets the select few and it's very easy for the system to go and get a brown person that will speak their language or you know try and minimize it or try and clean the sip and that's happened a lot uh and so there's a conversation there's a chapter uh, uncomfortable conversation the other way which which i'm a bit nervous about if i'm being honest because it, you know uh but i hope it's taken as a plead from me to our younger generation is to go you know what we need to change this we need to break this cycle uh, and the whole EDI stuff and the whole the way that is you know solu- the way solutions are looked at is completely and utterly wrong you know straight away everything's all about representation representation is important but it's not a solve on its own um, so yeah it's it goes really deep into what solution looks like and how we're going to make things better but um, you know I would have loved to have written about how things have got better but you know I'm not going to be one of them people who's going to mask away from reality uh, and, you know, unfortunately, we, we're cricket still at a stage uh, where it's not willing to accept. Um, and also, you know, a um, little bit, uh, it doesn't touch a lot, but documentary, when I go into the documentary, that will talk more about what, what I'm doing and, uh, you know, how how I have been able to. And I think for me, it's not look at me, I've got, you know, that this, but I just want people to look at how low things can get. But actually, you know, there are a lot of people out there willing to support. Uh, and, you know, for me, my story is very much about resilience, perseverance, and actually the, the end or the, the growing bit to my story, more and more importantly, has to be incredibly positive because, you know, if I go and do things that I want to do. It will show other people that actually, you know what, you can speak out 
and then you can have a successful life after. And, you know, very early on, someone said to me, whistleblowers never have a successful life after. And my energy and my reasoning for doing all this uh, and putting myself constantly out there is very much about actually, you know what? This whistleblower will be positive. This whistleblower will go out, go on and be successful to give an exact, to show everyone else that actually you can stand up and you can have your voice heard no matter how small it is. Well, it's uh, my last question is it's just a bit about the tribe. You know, we were born to be in tribes. And when you, you, you're you're bucking the narrative a bit when you say that, you know, your community hasn't supported you and other communities have supported you. That doesn't fit the narrative. That's also that's also like angering your tribe. Like that feels like lonely and painful. And that's the essence of being a whistleblower anyway, right? You're sort of speaking out against the people you're not supposed to speak out about. Yeah, look, the thing is, I'm unfiltered. And I'll talk about this in, in uh, like... Uh, this is plain what's going on manner. Um, I didn't know. See, as it says in the thing, I'm a. Uh, I didn't even. I didn't even know what whistleblower was or what it meant till the day that Lord Patel did his press conference and called me a whistleblower. Right. So I, I'm an accidental whistleblower. Um, I was a broken human being, uh, who had seen you know, and I've not talked about it in this, but you know. I lost my son and that, you know, that was the worst thing. You know, I carried my son from a hospital to graveyard and that, that took me to levels and then, you know, my workplace, the way they were. So I'm an accident. I was just a broken human being. And I didn't set out to be, well, I don't think I am now. I don't think I am anywhere, but, you know, for the popularity or anything like that, ultimately I'm going to, I'm going to have difficult conversations and that, that is uncomfortable for people. Well, you know what? I'm not sorry. Uh, and I think the reason we don't get past and actually we've not got solutions or change is because too much of, of these conversations get fitted into the narrative of what suits the space in that certain way. And I've seen it. You know, there's community and faith organizations who have used my experiences and I guess uh, me talking about my experiences and now very much uh, setting up themselves to sit on the side of the system and continue the cycle. And that for me, whatever the conversation is, how are we going to break the cycle? How are we going to break the cycle? We're not going to break the cycle. And yeah, uh, look, it's, it's lonely at times. It's incredibly uncomfortable at times. You know, uh, there's a lot of challenges, but I tell you what, I wouldn't change it for the world uh, because you know what? It's, it's brought me closer to my religion. It's brought me, it's made me a better person. Uh, and it's, I've built friendships for life experiences. You know, I went to Auschwitz, uh, with March of the Living. You know, I, I I'm not, uh, you know, I, I absolutely adore these relationships and they've come from some of my own feelings. And that, that's something I wouldn't change ever. So yeah, I, I want to stay true to myself and I, you know, the one thing I'm very mindful of is making sure I'm always the voice of the people uh, on the street. Um, yes, I can sit in, you know, I sit with corporates, I sit right, you know, and have conversations right at the top of, you know, top of our corporates, and that's fine. But my platform and my voice is for the people on the streets, and I want to continue to be able to do that for the rest of my life. Well, that's wonderful. And to hear you speak so openly about the things that have happened to you and 
to hear you say that you were a broken human being and now you're a human being who who struggles but is doing okay. It's it's really wonderful. Thank you so much for thank speaking you. to us about all of this. I appreciate oh, thank it. you. Thank you. You know, I really appreciate it because I think as well as uh, you guys won't realize it at times. Sometimes it, these types of sessions become quite a, a therapy session because, you know, it, it becomes, again, you know, you're sharing and you're offloading. And that, I, that's the one of, that's another reason why I've done it more and more because actually it helps me every time I do speak about it. So, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Can I ask you if you don't have to, but would you speak about losing your child or is that too? No, no, I do like, you know, it's something I've spoken about uh, quite openly, actually, um, because, it, you know, for me, um, one of the things that, you know, this this is something that uh, changed my life, really. Um, you know, um, we had a tough pregnancy. Um, the support or the lack of support I got from my, my employers was something. And that's why I'm trying to use my experience of stuff like grief, you know, losing, you know, losing people close to you. My, the hardest thing for me, the tough thing for me was, you know, that that's the ultimate in life, that and losing your own parents. And, you know, um, I experienced that. And But it was what made it worse was my workplace uh, and how they used that to get rid of me, but also how, you know, how inhumane they were uh, around that issue. And, you know, that their scars that the main reason I spoke out was I, I thought it would help get me in a room with the person who, you know, the director of cricket who on my first day back after losing my son basically shouted at me and made me cry because I wanted answers around why I was treated like that around the loss of my son. Yeah. But, you know, the beautiful thing about our religion, um, you if you lose a child on the day of judgment, your child will fight with Allah, hold your hand and take it to heaven. And that's 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 what's kept me and my wife going. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, um, that it happened in 2018. We've we we haven't recovered in any way, shape, or form since then, and obviously then this has happened, and you know we're we're so, you know I can openly and honestly say like at times with me it's hard to sh see uh, if I am struggling or not um, until I hit really rock, uh, but you know we're unsettled, we're incredibly unsettled, and you know I find it difficult, but I look at my wife and you know she's just been amazing. She just she just amazing uh and you know having been through that experience um you know you i i guess in a way i remember it more than her around the you know around getting the baby out uh and stuff and these are s incredible scars uh but also you know something that's um you know we we believe what's written happens uh so it was written from Allah and it's brought me, it, Allah's brought me closer to him. It's given me an opportunity to bring, go closer to him. And that's something I'm incredibly thankful for. And I feel again, I, I look at these things and I feel very fortunate in a lot of it. Um, not that I would have wanted to have gone through that to have got there, but you know, I, it's brought me closer to my faith and um, hopefully I can help other people. And again, around, you know, around baby loss, and again, it's an incredibly tough subject. And I'm, I'm hoping now, being in the UAE, and I've met, you know, what you realize again from speaking out is so many people got in touch who have been through the same. Is I want to try and create a community um, 
to show people that actually there's other people and you can speak because there's days where I'm sure my wife wants to speak to someone who's been through similar uh, and she doesn't have it. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully here in the UAE uh, and in the UK, because, you know, there were three things that I wanted to do, you know, once I spoke now is one around mental health, mental health in men and South Asian support around baby loss. Uh, and that's that's practical support, that support with the employers, you know, because if there is someone that's going through it and they, uh, you know, their employers and their workplaces are not understanding and don't understand it um, through the corporate speaking that I've done and some of the consultancy, that's what, you know, I want to try and help that. Uh, and then, you know, my love cricket, um, you know, broadcasting and try and help use my platform as much as possible to create opportunities for others. Yeah, I think, I mean, you had an extreme example, but I think anyone who's ever lost anyone or gone through that and then is shocked at how it is with work, it just feels so inhumane when you're going through like terrible grief and loss and how ill-equipped the workplace is to deal with people. It's just, it's like get back to work usually. <laughs> I, think, I, think, and I, think, I think that's the thing there where you said ill-equipped. I think, you know, a lot of our leaders and a lot of people uh, in decision-making they're just not equipped to deal with it. So they end up doing nothing or, you know, and which actually causes more damage. But actually, I think it's, I think we're getting to it. Well, hopefully we're getting to a progressive uh, businesses and like, you know, people leading from the top and actually, you know, understanding how to deal with uh, these situations um, and actually seeing the positives of dealing with it well. That that's so when I you know when um, I've been fortunate I've been again I've been very fortunate I've been I've had some big platforms such as Google, GQ Heroes to talk about these things and you know some some magic circle law firms and stuff and is trying to sort of put yourself in that situation of the person that is you know gone through that and understanding what they might need. Look for three months, four months you might not get the. You know, the, your business might not prosper from a real sort of what you see as prosper, but the long term, the long term, when you that when that human you deal with grief, you help someone around grief, you've got that human will go through run through a brick wall for you, and it's you know it's understanding that and listen again. I think listening is a key skill. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Azim. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Have a lovely day. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.